Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We come to you in the precious name of Jesus. We lift the name, for there is no other name given under the heavens for salvation. We lift your word because your word says you have magnified your word above all your name. Touch, Lord. Touch our ears. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Help us to discern between the error and the truth. Between darkness and light. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation. We just surrender ourselves at your feet, Lord. Let the entrance of your word bring true light. And help us to walk in that light, Lord. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. If you've been there, if you've been following, I guess you are following for the past few weeks, Sundays and Wednesdays. We've been looking at God as truth. Like I said, we heard it over and over again. One of the most controversial statements which Jesus makes for the world. Most controversial, if not the controversial statement is when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father other than through me. He he makes himself exclusive. That there is no other way. And that's very offensive. To the secular mind and to the religious mind. Very offensive. And then he goes one more step forward and he says, I am the truth. I am the truth. That outside of him, there is no truth. He is the truth. And whatever is true has to tally with him. And we've been looking at that. Truth as Jesus and Jesus as truth. So we saw, I'm just quickly going through, we saw in uh, um, Isaiah 65, 16, if I'm right, scripture is saying, God is the God of truth. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 65, 16 says, God is the God of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 16, Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit whom he will send is the spirit of truth. And when he comes, he will lead us into even more truth. But for us, Primarily today, now, in John 17, 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by the truth, and your word is the truth. He says, yeah, put it up. He says, my word is truth. Remember the previous weeks, we've been looking at how the world is going to a point where truth is subjective. Everything is what you feel is truth. We have come and that's why the the whole world was riveted at what was happening in the U.S. Senate. Nobody wanted to watch movies or serials or music shows. Everybody was watching at what was happening in the Senate because it was all about what is true. It was all about what is truth. Two people saying two versions of an incident and what is true. Okay, so remember, truth is not subjective. Truth is not relative, though that's where the whole world has gone. So we have to be very, very careful because God has given us something here, which is not subjective, which is right here, which can be tested, written. And it says, your word is truth. Your word 
is true. In John chapter 4 and verse 23 and 24, Jesus will tell this Samaritan woman, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The problem here is that everybody knows this and they leave the truth out and become very subjective about the spirit and make it all into an emotional experience and make the first 30 minutes of the worship service as worshiping in spirit and forgetting the truth part. Truth part. Where scripture says... God seeks even today those who seek truth. Those are the kind of people where the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking such. Who are the such? Those who are seeking truth, who walk in the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus connects liberty or true freedom. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, therefore to us, if we believe him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He says, the litmus test of a disciple, unlike a follower, is that you stay, you live, you abide in my word. That's what makes a follower a disciple. And second, once you abide in your word, you learn to live by the word, you shall know the truth. And the nature of truth is that truth always sets you free. Always. Your outer circumstances are irrelevant. The nature of truth is that it always sets you free. And our often most quoted example is from the book of Acts, where you see the apostles beaten and they're leaping for joy. You see Paul, Peter being imprisoned for next day to be executed, fast asleep. You see Paul and Silas being beaten, thrown in the midnight hour. They cannot sleep because their legs have been locked in the stocks. They are worshipping because truth, irrespective of your circumstances, always sets you free. And if you're not free inside, if you're not free inside, look out for what is missing. Where did I miss out on truth? What is God trying to tell? But today what we are looking at is, what is truth? Remember when Pilate asked, you don't have to turn, we'll later we will go over there. When this final encounter with Jesus and Pilate, when Jesus says, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, yes, I am a king, but not of this world. And he says, I have come as a witness to truth. And everyone who is of truth hears my voice. And Pilate asks this rhetorical question. What he asks is, what is truth? Now, yesterday when the men were there, we were saying, do you listen to carefully what he asked? He did not ask, what is the truth? You are in a context, in this context, the people are saying, crucify him. The priests are saying, crucify him. One set of people are saying he's innocent. Your own wife had a dream saying he's innocent. You also with your judicial experience know he's innocent. So he should be asking the question, what is the truth? But that's not what you ask. He says, what is truth? He's not asking a question according to the context. He's replying to Jesus' statement saying, whoever is of truth, hears my voice. So he says, what is truth? 
Your truth, my truth, we all have our own truth. So you realize, relative truth did not start in our universities. It started in the Garden of Eden and it's been continuing for the past 6,000 years. It's nothing new. Because we are living. What is truth? We are living in the times the Bible actually spoke about where the greatest casualty has been truth. We are living in an absolutely culture-confused, universities will call it a post-modern society. You all think you are modern. When you go to the university, they will say, no, we are not even modern. We are post-modern because modern had some absolutes. Post-modern has no absolutes. Absolutely confused. Post-modernism is a philosophy that Claims there is no such a thing as truth. It's no truth. There is no absolute truth. What is true to me may not be true to you. And what is true to you may not be true for me. Because they say, they teach, and you get a PhD on lies. Okay, Truth is a social construct. Something created and developed by society. So as society changes, truth too changes and adapts. You need to realize, why was the whole world, the thinking Christian, non-Christian world, riveted on what was happening in the Senate was, it was about the Supreme Court of US. You have nine justices in the court, so you had only eight, and the ninth one was going to be appointed. Four are what you call conservatives or constitutionalists and four are liberal. Okay, These four who are conservatives will always go, we will go by the book. The other four says no, truth evolves. So it has to keep changing as the society changes. So you do not realize the battle was for the soul of a nation. Why do you think everybody was out on the streets? Why do you think all that things was happening? Because they knew if it is five, four, those who go by the book, then truth will be absolute. But if you have a five, four who is liberal, then truth is relative. That was what the whole battle was all about. Yesterday morning, in our early morning, he was sworn in as the one of the justices, the ninth justice of the Supreme Court. Okay, now let us see. It will, this battle won't end. It will not end. It will continue because people will not. You know, we have to understand the times have changed. Nobody wants absolutes in life. Even we ourselves, when we look into our hearts, when we read the why do we fight reading the word of God? Because we know the word of God is an absolute. So they say, truth is something the society has constructed. And as the society keeps on changing, remember two weeks back, this is exactly what our court also says, that the society has to adapt, the laws have to be changed as the society changes, as if truth changes. And the chief justice retired, and then yesterday he made a statement on a previous ruling saying what I said was right. Okay, you see the battle. And we need to realize why these things are important because it touches everybody's life. Everybody's lives. They say, postmodernism says, reality itself is a social construct. 
It's a social construct. You can determine your own reality. And that's what we've been seeing happening around in the courts and on the streets. Listen, like I said, what Pilate said in John 18, 37 and 38. Listen to that conversation between truth and the other person. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. He is not only the truth, he is the witness of the truth. Meaning if you want to know how, if truth had two legs, how it would walk. He says, this is how it walks. This is how it lives. This is how it talks. This is how it responds. I am a witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth, we were born again by the truth, says, they hear my voice. They can always hear the voice of truth because they were born of truth. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Not what is the truth, what is truth. This is the truth. You need to believe this is the truth. The person of Jesus, the spirit of God, God the father and the word he has spoken to us. And it is not subjective. If you move from the absolute, then truth starts becoming according to what you feel. And how you pursue as a society changes, you also start making compromises on things that cannot be compromised. We saw on Wednesday the most powerful statement, Peter of all people who had this incredible experience with John and James, making a statement about truth in Second Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He says we are not following any man-made theories. Of philosophy. We have made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he's not talking about the days he walked with Jesus. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, you see, I was the witness of seeing him in his glory. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter says, you know, when I speak to you about Jesus and what he has taught, let me tell you, I am a witness of his glory. We were on that mountain, we saw in his splendor, and I heard the voice of the father attesting to his son and says, this is my son, listen to him. But he doesn't stop there, listen to what he says. In words, yeah. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. He says, you know what? You see a vision, you hear a voice, it still can be subjective. He says, we have something more sure. The word of prophecy. The word of God. See, if Apostle Peter He's saying that the word of God which we have received for me is more sure than the voice that I heard or the vision I saw. What should be sure for us? Because some people say I have never seen a vision. Doesn't matter. Do you have the word? Do you believe the word? Do you put the trust in the word? That's why Jesus said not even a dot, a tittle, not even a dot, a matra will change. It cannot change. 
Because if the word of God is truth and truth is absolute and God is absolute, the word cannot change. On Wednesday we saw, right? We had a study on saying how one letter, how Paul will refute translators. Now we will prove from one word from, from the book of Galatians that the promise was to the seed and not the seeds. And you see most translations have gone wrong when he can prove from Galatians 3.16 that Genesis, the promise to Abraham was not about Isaac or Jacob or Israel, it was about Jesus Christ. We saw also from one word how he establishes an entire, entire doctrine. No, he saw, we saw grammar, we saw tense. That's why the Bible cannot change. The word cannot change. Because we are now, you and I are living in a world where everything is subjective. And how we feel, that is our truth. And the problem is, if you go by that, how you feel, you will move further and further away from God. You will move further and further away from Christ and the Holy Spirit. And the word. Jesus did not point to his feelings. We saw on Wednesday. He said. It is written. Are you the son of God? He could have said. Yeah I think I am. I feel my father has told me. And my Holy Spirit is crying from within me. He didn't say any of those things. He said it is written. If you are the son of God. He said it is written. Somebody who actually could rely on subjective feelings. And be 100% right when he says, yes, I know I am the son of God. I feel like the son of God. I am absolutely sure I am the God. He didn't do any of that. He said, it is written. It is written. Every time he said, it is written. He did not. He did not. Rely on feelings. Okay. He did not make love into feelings. That's how we walk in a lie. You know, look at what John chapter 14 says. 14 and verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, when we walk away from the absolute and move into the subjective realm, you can walk in disobedience the whole week and have a goosebump experience on a Sunday morning and feel that you love him when God says, you don't. You don't love me. You don't love me. Just loving is not a subjective experience. Loving is a reality. He who has my commandments, meaning you are somebody who is constantly searching out the will of God and seeking it, finding it and keeping it. You have my commandments, you keep them and he says, you don't need any feeling. I know you love me. You know I love you. And you will experience my father's love. Why? Because the world, for the world, love is all very subjective. Question is, did you see truth that way? Do you see truth that way? Let me ask you this question. Why did you go to church? Why did you come to church? Oh, why didn't you come to church? Either if you came to church, why did you come to church? If you didn't come to church, why didn't you go to church? This is not subjective. This is based on real truth. If two or three gather in my name, I'll be in your midst. I went to church because you said, and it is written, 
I can meet you there. I go to church because it is written in 1 Timothy and chapter 2 and verse 15. Yeah. If I am delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of. Why do you go to church? To be grounded in the truth. For the hearing, the teaching, that is apostolic. That's why I go to church. Why do you go to church? One, because he is there. True, that's one place where I can hear and find and know truth. And third, Hebrews, I'm just giving you a couple of things so that you know why you come over here and it is not because you feel like going to church because next Sunday you may not feel like going. This has got nothing to do with feelings because if you ask somebody why didn't you come, I didn't feel like going. Truth is not based on feelings. Obedience is not based on feelings, it's based on truth. He said, I'll be there. Second, this is where truth is taught. Third scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. How will you know the day is approaching? Because you know the truth. And because you know the truth, you have the discernment to read the times. And you see the times changing, you know his coming is getting closer and closer. When you know his coming is closer and closer, automatically there's a response from you to gather more and more often. Because that's the only place where you can get prepared for his coming. So going to church is not something to do with feelings. It's got to do with the truth. And Jesus said, that is my word. So when you have established truth about any given matter and obey it, you are no longer a slave of your feelings, but rather you have made your feelings your slave. In every situation, anything that you go in life, the question you need to ask is, what is the truth? What does God have to say about this situation in my life? That is the truth. That is the truth when you obey that sets you free. Because we are living in a time where it seems nothing is true. But truth does not change. You know in Romans chapter 117 after saying that my righteous, my just shall live by faith. Remember last Sunday I talked to you earlier also. Our problem is with this word faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. And we have turned faith into something receiving from God. Because we connect faith only with the first four books of the gospels. And the book of Acts and the miracles in the Old Testament. And we think about faith as the channel through which we receive things from God. Which is true. But that's not what this is talking about. This is saying the one who is born again, who has been justified, shall live by faith. When you say you shall live by faith, it is saying you shall live by the truth. My judge shall live by truth. That is the word of God. He says, he who has my commandments, he obeys my commandments, he experiences my love. My judge shall live by truth. Look at the next verse. What scripture says in verse 18. The Bible reveals what happens to the society that rejects the truth. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who? What do they do? They suppress the truth. In unrighteousness. 
So John Romans 1.17, when it's talking about faith, it is not receiving miracles. It is talking about a walk, a life of truth. And he says, the wrath of God is being revealed towards those who suppress the truth. The problem is when the wrath of God is being revealed, if you don't understand scripture, we don't understand how it is being revealed. Like Esaf said, I was looking at all the wicked ones prospering and I was saying, Lord, what is the point of being good? Look at all this. Until I went to the house of God and learned their end. And then I said, thank you, Lord. I didn't realize that the prosperity of the wicked one without warning is judgment. The rich man was about to build one barns. God said, you fool. You live like as if there is no tomorrow, tonight. Is D-Day. And you are not even ready. Okay, understand what God is talking about. When they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, what happens? Verse 24, scripture says, God handed them over. Yes, Sammy. Therefore, God also gave them up. When people go into uncleanness, uncleanness of thoughts, unclean lifestyle, unclean words, unclean life, people don't realize, they think we are free. But they don't realize they are not free. It is judgment. God has just taken his hand off them. He said, go that way. That's the way you want to go? Go that way. Go that way. God gave them over. Verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship the creature. Did you see? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Instead of worshipping God, they started worshipping themselves. Isn't that what Paul says in the last days what will happen? People will start. Worshipping themselves. They are lovers of pleasure. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. And God has given them over. What we do not see, it is the judgment of God working out in society. And this is what, you you just, I mean, I wish you watched what was happening in the past few weeks. It's all women. It's all women. You see, they, they excite the base using, that's how they use a lie. Because you cannot just sell a lie. You have to mix it with truth. So they brought this accusation of sexual assault. And all the women are out on the streets. But the actual agenda is about something else. It's about abortion rights. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, how God has handed over a generation of men and women over. Like, you talk about a late-term abortion. 20 weeks, 22 weeks, 23 weeks, 24 weeks. The baby is growing, it's kicking, heartbeats, everything. But you are allowed to abort the baby. Okay? Now think about this. The warped thinking of man. You can abort the baby, legally abort the baby, no consequences. But if the baby is born, and in one minute after the baby is born, if you kill the baby, you are charged with murder. Have you ever think? How did the same mind accept both? If you abort the baby when the baby is inside, you are legally free. If you kill the baby within seconds after it is born, you are charged with murder. So what you don't see, don't hurt. Right? Is that your truth? Is that the truth which you live by? 
How can a society which is supposed to be Christian, it's no longer Christian, postmodern, be so debased in the thinking unless God has handed them over? Handed them over. Have to understand where the society is going, where the nations, all the so-called old Christian. That's what Paul is warning in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, five and seven. Do you not remember that that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining that He may be revealed in His own time. The Holy Spirit is restraining, and for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. You see, as the Holy Spirit is being removed slowly from the society, you see uncleanness and sin becoming public. The restrainer is being pulled back. And you see society changing accordingly. That's what he told in Noah's time. My spirit shall not contend with man forever. It is the spirit that is contending for righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit that is contending for holiness. It is the Holy Spirit that is contending for morality. On our own, we don't have it. But what happens if the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn by the Father? And you will see an immediate effect in the morals of the society. Evil becomes good and good becomes evil. That's what the Bible is talking about. Until finally he's taken out of the way. That is where you see abortions have become A constitutional right to kill your own baby is a right. Is that a right? I thought to have and nurture that baby is your right. And that constitution of that country, why I say that country is because every country goes the way that country goes. Their Supreme Court makes judgments Supreme Court judges use that as precedents. That country's constitution, it first thing it says what? Right to life. That's written in their constitution. Right to life. But the child has no right. The mother has the right to kill. Like in schools, public schools in United States, if a child has to take aspirin, it needs the parent's permission. School needs. But if the girl wants to have an abortion, parents don't have to be told. What kind of warped thinking is that? Warped thinking. Do you know where the society is going? That's what we're talking about. The confusion in the society and the church. That's what Paul was talking about. There will be perilous times. Very, very, very. And you remember we are saturated by this thinking. And that philosophy through movies and through papers and through universities and schools and colleges, we are being bombarded in one way or other with this idea about right, 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 right. And now we're talking about our responsibilities. So in Second Timothy 3, 7, scripture says, says, forever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You are doing your undergraduation, you are doing your PG, you are doing your MPhil, you are doing your PhD, but you are not able to understand truth. You have degree after degree after degree after your name, but never able to understand the truth. Well learned fools. 
Never able to. Because without knowing God, you will never understand what truth is. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. And then what happens? In verse 8, scripture says, Now as Janus and Jambra, these are the two magicians, the, when Moses went to Pharaoh, resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. The wise men of this world actually resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds. As far as God is concerned, they are disapproved when it comes to faith. So remember, we saw over the weeks, Isaiah in his time describing the nature of what has happened to Israel in Isaiah 59 and verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far off. Truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. These three things is what everybody is crying for. I want justice. You go to students union, justice. You go to women's feminist meeting, justice. You go to a labor market, justice. Everybody wants justice, everybody wants righteousness, everybody wants equity or fairness. Everybody has their own idea what is justice, what is righteousness, what is fairness. Nobody will find any of these three because what has fallen in the street, truth has fallen in the street. Jam, roadblock. Nothing can enter, nothing can move until truth rises up again. God says there will be no justice. There will be no righteousness. This is personal. We are not talking about the world. We are talking about ourselves. We are saying, Lord, when will you deliver me? He says, righteousness, justice and equity will enter into your life when truth rises again in your life. And what is true in your life is not what you feel or what you think. It's what my word says about your situation. That is what is true. And in verse 15, so truth fails. Look at verse 15. Yeah, go to verse 15. Truth fails. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. If you are trying to be righteous in this unrighteous society, he says you are a target. Why? Because truth has failed. Nobody wants people of integrity in government offices. Nobody wants people who are honest working in positions because your corruption won't work. And you become a prey. They tried everything about Daniel and find they couldn't find one place to point. That's what happened. If you look at the order, I don't know what is true, but if you look at the order that was happening with Justice Kavanaugh, 15,000 documents, hundreds and hundreds of testimonies and all that of everything going on until the last day they could not put a finger on him. Absolutely straightforward man. Then on the last day they brought this accusation. 36 years ago when he was 17 years old, he assaulted a girl who was 15 years old. Out of blue. And everybody she says, says that thing never happened. But you cannot talk. You cannot question a woman. You see? Truth failed. It was a battle. Out of the blue it came. You have to look at and they held on to the letter for two months to see if they could block him without the letter. When they found they could not, on the last day they brought this letter out. And then it was drama on the streets. I had to watch it. It was like riveting than any movie I have ever seen in my life. 
Jeremiah says about it in this way, in Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know. Seek in our open places if we can find a man. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, I will pardon her. I said, we know from Ezekiel, God says, I look for one man who will stand in the gap so that I don't have to judge this city, this country. But he says he found no one. And we think it is the man who intercedes and who prays, which is true but not fully true. It is the man, the woman, who stands up for truth. That's why his prophets were all killed. While they were hunted. Why? Because they stood up to entire society like Elijah on Mount Carmel. Entire kingdom. The king, the princes, the prophets of Baal, the whole population. He stood alone and said, this is true and yours is false. God is looking for one man who will stand up and say what is true. Because we often overlook God is truth. And God does not change. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. Therefore, God does not change. And if so, truth does not change. So by its very nature, truth rejects compromise. Truth is absolute. Adam and Eve and the entire human race went into darkness because of one bite. It was not a sound bite, but it was a sound bite. One bite. Can you imagine the power of truth? God said, if you eat, you will die. One bite, humanity died. And truth did not change. Truth did not change. Because truth cannot change. Because God is truth. An entire generation, Noah's time, seven-tenth from Adam. Man, woman, child, animals, birds, every living creature which had not got into the ark died. Because truth does not die. It does not change. And for them the truth was, I have built something If you get into that and you abide in that, you are safe. The ark of Noah was like truth. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are free. If they all they had to was get into it, but they refused. They all died. They all died. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody was burned, fried. Because even on the last hour, nobody believed the angels. And it did not matter that you came out of the city and you are almost entering the city of refuge and you disobeyed one instruction. And that one instruction was what? Don't look back. That's it. That truth killed you. You are stuck as the pillar of salt with your head turned one side. That's it. You're gone. Because that's the nature of truth. It doesn't change. Jesus is not even a dot. So we cannot compromise on truth because truth delivers truth kills. That's why Jesus said, remember Lord's wife. Two things he said, remember. What is that? One, Lord's wife and two, do this in remembrance of me. And about this, what did he actually say in First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26? What did he say? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim what? Lord's death. He didn't say Lord's resurrection. Resurrection is one thing. We love it. Death is judgment. He says, remember the truth. 
Every time you partake of this, you're remembering he was judged. He was judged for our lies. For our sin. He was judged. Remember. So the entire Bible from Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. If you eat of this tree you will die. All the way to the practically the last verses of the Bible in Revelation 22, 18, 20. From the beginning second chapter till the end. What does it say? Revelation 22, 18 and 20. For I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You see, right from there till the last verse is a set of warnings which says, don't dabble with truth. Truth does not change. Truth should change us. We do not change truth. And every attack we have seen in 6,000 years of human history is aimed at the God of truth. At the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the truth. And above all, on the word of God, truth. And against the church, the apostolic church, which is supposed to be, meant to be the pillar of truth. The attack is against God, against his son, against his church, and against his word. The world, please understand children, the world and the kingdom of God are absolutely and diametrically opposite One is based on lies or error. And the other is based on truth. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 6, this is what Jesus said. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There are two spirits operating. One is the spirit of truth. The other is the spirit of lies. And you know you are of God. Because you hear the spirit of truth. So like we said, compromise did not start in the pagan east. It started in the Christian west. It did not start in the pagan east. It started in the Christian west. The Bible fundamentally begins with these words in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the... Right? 1.1. And Hebrews 11 and verse 2 says, by faith, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. How do we understand? By faith. Now is that what you learned in school? Did it start in the east? No. It started in the west. Personally I feel the most dangerous man who ever lived in the modern history of mankind was not Marx. Was Darwin. Because he's the one who fought Genesis 1-1, the beginning. He said it's not creation. It is evolution. That's where compromise began. That's where it be. Marx and all came later. We replace the truth with a lie. And we get distinction when we write the lie, how we evolved. That's where it began. It didn't begin in the East. It began in the Christian West. Who had custody of the truth? 
changed the truth of God and replaced it with a lie that we were not created by God in his image. We evolved and our closest ancestors were the monkeys. We replaced God and creation with science and evolution. And from there, the slide began one by one. In Genesis 1.27, scripture says, God made us man in his own image. In his own image, he created him male and female. He created them. It is God who created man and woman, male and female. Scripture says in Romans 1.28, what happens when the slide begins? As even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. No, I am not made in your image. They did not want to retain God in their knowledge. What did God? God gave them over to a debased to do those things which are not fitting. We will not read the rest of the gory details, but that's what. So what happens, men? Men look at dogs, recent publication, looking at dogs, looking at penguins. Penguins have, have homosexual um, tendencies. Dogs have homosexual tendencies. So it's fine that man also has the same tendencies because he gave you over to a debased mind because you did not retain the knowledge of God in your mind. You forgot how he created you. you forgot. That's why this is the most confused generation. Because truth is not a constant. Everything is negotiable. You can create your own reality. If you can determine your own reality, why can you not determine or choose your own gender? I'm talking to you from actual college texts which is all over the world. If you are a male who wants to be a female, you can adopt a female gender even though you are a biological male. Who told you that you should be what they say you should be? It's your reality. We should not let biological sex determine our gender. This is one of the key concepts of the trans gender movement. If you watch news or read news, last week, last two days back, BBC, CNN, almost all except for the conservative sites, all the one in the headlines with pictures had this article from Iceland. How the Iceland schools are radical in the nursery, pre-primary section where boys are dressed in girls' dresses and girls are dressed as boys. Boys put fingernails on paint and they play with dolls while girls play with boys' toys so that there should be no gender difference. You need to realize in all these so-called civilized societies, parents don't have control over children. Public schools are in their hands. And right from the smallest age, they are being taught. Don't retain the image of God in your mind. Ten days back, you had a nursery set of young little children being read a storybook by a drag queen. If you know what a drag queen is, you will know what it is. In New York City, all over the news. Just a few believing parents protesting outside, but the rest all applauding. 
You don't know what's happening in this world. Education system has been taken over by a radical anti-God people everywhere. Can I have the slide so that I will read to you something so that you don't have to lean on my understanding of what I read? Can I have that slide over there? Yeah. Here is a great summary of the transgender understanding of gender. Nowadays we understand that anatomy is in destiny. It's your choice. Anatomy meaning the way God made you in your body. It's not your destiny. It is your choice to be called lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, cure and questioning, intersexual, asexual or something else. It's your choice. This That's not a misstatement. It is your choice. We have reached the point that regardless of anatomy, you can choose your identity and you can choose to change your gender identity as often as you change your clothes. Do you know why they come out confused from the universities? This is what they are taught. There are no absolutes. And we need to realize at some point we all have played our own part in this confusion. Either knowingly or unknowingly. Men don't act like men. Women didn't act like women. We all bow down to the idol of progress for prosperity. It was not progress, but they call you. Have you noticed all this movement? They call themselves progressives. In the in the other side is that we who hold on to absolutes are what regressives, they're going backward while they're going forward. They are progressives, but we all played a part. You see, in the world, these two things are connected. If you want to progress and you want to prosper, you have to accept what they say. Otherwise, they will not let you. They will destroy you. Let us look at a few things about connected with that. We saw in Genesis 1.27, Jesus, um, God saying, God made man, male and female. He made them. Genesis 1 is the whole history and Genesis 2 is a specific one, male and female. In Matthew 19 and verse 4, this is what Jesus says. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So God makes it very clear. This is the truth. The only truth. I made only two genders. You can go and get a degree in any gender theology. But I made only two genders. And you can choose to ignore the truth to your peril. Or receive the truth and be free. And it goes much deeper than that. If you go to the basic unit of every cell in the body. Male is XY. And female is YY. Your chromosome. And no matter how many sex change operations you have. No matter how many hormone treatment injections you have. It does not matter. Male will be always XY and female will be always YY. It doesn't change. But sorry, XY and XX. It doesn't change. It cannot change. The basic unit doesn't change because God made that. The question is, there are certain misbirths where you have a baby born with both sexual organs. It has happened, it happens. They are called hermaphrodites, okay? The question is, what is this baby, male or female? Simple, check its DNA. Whatever it is, that's its gender. 
Because nothing can, that baby that is born by a, what a aberration of sin, passing down generation with both organs, still has only one gender. Doesn't have two. As God said, male and female, I made them. Not only that, when he made, in 131, he said, Genesis 1, uh, 31, he said, it is good. What did he say? At the end of creation, he said, it is God. So everything he had made and in it was very good. So it means our gender differences are very good. Instead of fighting our gender differences, we should celebrate our gender differences because God said, it is good. See, this is how we receive the truth. This the world may not receive, it doesn't matter. It is about us. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And God's word is truth. And God, after he has made the male and female, he said it's very good. Meaning, celebrate your gender difference. Don't fight. Don't try to merge it. Are you getting how you accept? That is how you receive truth. Truth is received by studying the word of God and saying, how does it apply to me? How is contemporary culture changing? This is your absolute. I am sticking on to your absolute. And I am not changing from your absolute because you are an absolute. Your word is an absolute. You never change. That's how you young people, when you go to your universities, you stand there like Daniel is alone, alone. Saying, this is truth. My God is true. I don't care about my grades. But I am going to stand for what I believe is true. And if I have to go down into the fire, I will go. But I'm not going to buckle for truth because truth is absolute because God is truth. In John chapter 1 and 17, we heard about the law came through Moses and we forget grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All we hear today is about grace and grace and grace and grace at the cost of truth. So when people move away from truth, Offered in a platter and says God understands because this is the age of grace. No, grace and truth came with Jesus Christ. Law came through Moses, grace and truth. And you need to understand what is the difference between the law and the truth. Paul will explain through the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So you need to realize the law is the letter. The spirit is the truth. That's why he's called the spirit of truth. But you need to understand, without the letter, you cannot know the truth. So you cannot throw the Old Testament away by saying, I'm a new covenant person, I'm not going. God says, without the letter, you will not understand the truth. The Spirit of God works on the letter and shows us the truth. And when we stand on the truth, that truth sets us free. The Old Testament, New Testament, that's how you study. Let me ask you a few questions. Okay, so that you understand what does it mean. In Deuteronomy 22, 9 to 11. Okay, very interesting old covenant laws for Israel. This is the letter. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of a vineyard be defiled. You say, how does that happen, Lord? I have tried, I have taken my farm and I have planted different things. I didn't see anything defiled. Some of the Old Testament things you look at and says it doesn't make any sense. Next, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. 
अरे ये क्या है यू शैल नॉट वेर ए गार्मेंट ऑफ डिफरेंट सॉर्ट्स एट वूल एंड लिन मिक्स टूगेदर कैन यू गेट एनी प्योर कॉटन टूडे Lord, who can live like this? So you want to be an Amish and live like that? You have to go in bullock carts and horse carts and made handmade clothes. You look and say, Lord, what is this? Why have you said, don't mix seeds, don't put an ox and donkey together, don't uh, and verse eleven, what is that? Don't have linen and what a different mixture of cloth, garments such as wool and linen mixed together. What was he trying to tell? So you read this and you ask, Lord, this is the letter. What is the spirit? God says the spirit is 2 Corinthians 6.14. You shall not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That was the letter. This is the spirit. This is what I am trying to tell you. For 4,000 years, they were told to walk like this, live like this for your sake. That's what Paul says. They did not understand what they were doing. It was for our sake. They had to live like that. 4,000 years, a Jew could not put an ox and a donkey together so that the new covenant believer would not be yoked with an unbeliever. He didn't know what he was doing. We should know why he was told to do that. Because without the letter of the law, we will not understand what the spirit of the law is. Do you understand? That's how you read scripture. There is a letter of the law and there is the spirit of the law and you look at it and says, I got it. I got it. This is the spiritual application of law. This is how you read scripture. What is, does this mean? Because there is a truth hidden. This is the letter and this is the spirit. Let me prove scripture with scripture. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out, out the grave. Poor Jewish man. Imagine a Jewish man living under the law. He's got this ox and the ox is going around treading the grain. Now this year famine, harvest was very little. But the law says don't cover his face. So fellows think I got only 10 kilos. Only 10 kilos. But it is written don't muscle. So he leaves the mouth open. By the time this fellow has gone three circles, he has eaten half of it. Law is written. And scripture says the law kills. Law kills. Why did he have to go that way for 4,000 years? For our sake. For our sake. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Look at this. God is worried about the oxen? He says no. It was written and they were told to do for thousands of years for our sake. Well, does it say it altogether for our sake? For our sake, no doubt it is written. He who plows the, should plow in hope and he who treasures in hope should be partaker of his hope. You know what is basically, if you look at the whole context, what he's saying is that the preacher who preaches the gospel shall live off the gospel. You get it? He says, this was written for a new covenant ministry. Can you imagine the ox going around, eating happily without realizing that ox would be a symbol for 2,000 years of God's evangelists and pastors and preachers being paid from the church? He says, that's why I wrote it there. Do you understand? You need to understand when you read over there, God did not write it for them. They had to go by the letter of the law. 
It is for us. God is trying to tell us, understand. Now let us look at another one connected with today's class. Deuteronomy 22 verse 5. No, no, 22 verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. I see heartbeats going down, flutter in the stomach. Nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an... Okay, we fight homosexuality by saying it is written, a man who lieth with a man is an abomination to God. So, but we selectively use abomination. When it doesn't suit us, we take abomination out. So has God changed? See why gender confusion came? God right there wrote in the law, there should be no gender confusion. No gender confusion. See, we have, I told you two weeks back, we have become an effeminate, feminicized culture that if a woman were to come here in pants and t-shirt and preach, you will accept it because you've seen it so much happening on TVs. But if I were to come in a skirt and a top, you will ah. Right? But it's the same thing written there. A man who puts on a woman's garment. Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York City during 9-11, Trump's right-hand man, went for a drag party in a skirt and a top with lipstick. In New York. There are a lot of men who go to work like that. Why? Gender confused. Absolutely. Confused. And I'm telling you, in Iflu, you will see some characters dressed like that, right? Yep. They do. They do. Because those are places where you're supposed to be free. Why did he say these things? He said these things because he said there should be no confusion. You should be complimenting each other. Complimenting each other. God wants us to be as we were creator. Dress like how I created you, talk like I created you, walk like I created you, do not be something that I did not make you. Your body is not lying to you. Doesn't matter whether you feel like a man when you woke up, you are still a woman. Doesn't matter whether you felt like a woman when you woke up, you are still a man. Your body is not lying. The word of God is true. First Psalm 39, verse 13 and 14 says, For you found me, my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the truth. And you celebrate it. When we rebel against the truth, we rebel against what and how God made us. That's why scripture says the church is the pillar of the truth. It is a city on the hill. And truth did not fall in the streets of the pagan world. Truth fell in the church. Fell in the church. Gender difference is celebrated through the pages of the Bible. This book, God's word, teaches us how to act according to our gender. Biblical manhood is summed up with three words. Leadership, provision, 
and protection. It has got nothing to do with what the culture is talking about. What does it mean to be a woman according to the Bible? She is called to be a helper. Genesis 2.18 I shall make a helper, helpmate. Culture demeans the term helper. God does not. Culture demeans the term helper. God does not. Because that's almost identical term he used when he sent, I will send the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit demeaning? Culture demeans. God does not. Women are called to be See, gender difference is very clear in the Bible. Submissive to their husbands. Submissive means to place or arrange under. Just look at three verses. Ephesians 5, 22, 23. I'm just bringing this to see that this confusion in the world. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. So is there a gender difference? Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit your own husbands as fitting in the Lord. First Peter 3, 1, one part of 1. Wives, like, likewise, submit to your own husband. This is one of the few scriptures which is mentioned three times in the Bible. The gender difference is very, very clear. Three times. There's no gender confusion in the Bible. Women are called to make a home. And make mothering a priority. In Proverbs 14 and verse 1, a social role is given. It is not degraded. It is given. This is it. What is the wise woman builds a house? She is the builder of the house. If Jesus Christ is the builder of the church, he says the woman is the builder of the house. Is it demeaning? The Holy Spirit... Through Paul will go to the extent of saying in 1 Timothy 2.15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. That motherhood is almost like salvation for her. He accepts their role as mothers. The gender difference is absolutely clear in the Bible. We should not be sensitized by the culture. But as Jesus said in John 17, 17, we should be sanctified or set apart or separated by the truth. And we have to teach and help our children. Because this church has got so many children. Whenever I see a baby, I am excited and also I am scared. What is this world they are going into? How much control we will we have over our children in the next few six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Will we turn like the West where the parents have no more say in the children's upbringing? Will we look at it and I get scared? What happens with children? But now when we have a chance, help our children understand and celebrate their gender differences. Don't buy a gun for your girl and don't buy earrings for your boy. Dress them as girls and dress them as boys. Let them play with toys that is appropriate to their gender. Teach them to talk and to walk that is appropriate to the gender God gave them in their birth. The world may be confused. There should be no confusion in the church. Should be no confusion in the church. All these matter. 
The Bible is very, very clear about all this thing. Even the behavior in the church is gender based. In First Timothy chapter 5, scripture says in verse 1 and 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. All with You see that even how you deal with each other is gender based. There's no gender confusion in the Bible. Absolutely no gender confusion in the Bible. Because God is the one who ordained this gender, male and female. And it's absolutely clear. This is the way it is. And that when the child church stands up, an individual believer and individual Christian homes and the church stands up, we become the city on the hill. Let the world go whichever way it wants. The problem is when the church goes the way the world goes. That's when the confusion comes. Because we have to refute these lies now to save our children. And only truth can set us free. And as Jude said, we have to contend for the truth. And it begins at home. Let me read to you five, there are many, but five agenda lies. Your sex may be assigned at birth, but your gender is fluid. Lie. God assigns our gender at Conception. There should be no conflict between one's sex and one's gender. No confusion. Any attempt to live out a gender identity different from our biological sex is a rebellion against God who made you. Second lie. Our sexual orientation or gender is only part of our identity. Our identity is what gives us meaning. Now in the West, sexual orientation, one's identity, so says I am homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, transsexual, God's word rejects all this. When you came to Christ, you became a member of God's family. God became our father. All the attack, if you notice, is against patriarchy. But God is a patriarch. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the next verse will say, From whom the whole family gets its name. God is a patriarch. Abraham is a patriarch. Isaac is a patriarch. Jacob is a patriarch. The heads of those 12 tribes are patriarchs and everything is against patriarch. You, you have to understand the ideology that empowers these movements. Why are these young girls from these universities fighting for the right to abort the baby? Because they're saying that is our symbol of power to tell the patriarch, you can't tell us what to do with our body. The fight is against patriarchy and abortion is a symbol. And the child is the victim. Do you see these lies that empower? And you need to realize these are the universities to which we write ex- entrances, pay through our nose and go. And you wonder, like a 14% of believing children in the United States of America, once they go to college, drop out of church. Why? Meaning only 14% remain 
as a believer, 86% fall out of church once they go to college. So it doesn't matter how much we fight this in the light of this world, word, they will ultimately win. They will ultimately win. Remember that. And the Antichrist will take over. But what these very women who are fighting don't understand is this. There is the word which says the woman riding the beast. The beast will use the feminist movement to take power. Once the power is taken, scripture says the beast will turn over and tear her into pieces. I'm telling you, you watch history and watch it's happening everywhere. Whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's in Africa, when the movements take violent, who are the first victims? The women. They are raped and they are butchered. You need to understand the desperate lie of the devil. And once the man has been emasculated and effeminate and he's no longer the protector, no longer the provider, and the beast turns against the woman, she has nobody to protect her. That's how the devil works. That's how the devil works. That's why scripture talks. You read the history of his. Why do you think Israel, Jesus wept? He wept and he said, woe to those who have children those days, he said. They will rape. It is written in the word. They will rape you. They will tear the babies out of your wombs. Everything is written to the woman. He says, because you did not go by my order. This is how I made to compliment each other. Man, woman, protect, preserve, take care, and you be a helper. This was my order. You wouldn't believe. And you look through 6,000 years of human history and wars. Who are the casualties always? It's always the women and the children. Who got the Nobel Peace Prize? Who was that lady who got the Nobel Peace Prize yesterday? She was an ISIS slave. She was used as a sex slave and she escaped and she fought to free others and she got the Nobel Peace Prize. We don't understand these movements are aimed against the very people who are fighting for it. Because that's the lie of the enemy. It is bondage and it is destruction. Well, Christ came to set us free. That's why I said we have to look into the word of God. Into the word of God. Into the word of God. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 and 18. Scripture says. Come out among them. Be separate says the Lord. Do not touch what leave that. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. Do you see? There is a gender difference. And he accepts daughters as daughters. And sons as sons. And he is the father. Not like what these people are talking about. There is no confusion. He does not accept like some churches accept. You are bisexual, I accept you. You are homosexual, he says no sons and daughters. That's all. There's no third category over there. And if you're fighting with these tendencies, come to me, I will deliver you. Be honest about it, I will set you free. I will deliver you. Now states like California and many western countries have passed laws that you cannot even treat these things as an illness or take give them help. It's against the law. Meaning a day could come that if I am in Europe and a young man comes and says, I'm struggling with homosexual tendencies and if I try to do a deliverance, I would be in prison because I saw it as a problem and as not as normal. That's how the laws are being changed, already changed in many countries. Do you see when we, this is what scripture talks about, we take one ancient landmark which God has put after it, one by one by one by one by one by it changes. And we're living in a world that is absolutely, totally confusing. 
leave the next two uh, verses. Third lie. There are no differences between gender except anatomy. That lady died uh, last year called uh, Kate Millett. She was third wave feminist. She died in uh, 2017. You will re- read about her in the universities. She said social, psychological, emotional, these are all cultural in origin. You know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was in the university, you know, when you used to audit PhD, uh, vivas and all, no, you have to hear their lectures. They say, you ask them a question. If there is a knock on your friend door at 12 in the night, who opens the door? The man, right? You know what they teach you? That's a social construct. If for the next 20 years, every time there is a ring in the bell and it's a woman who opens the door, that becomes the norm. Don't take this as, as all absolute. These are all social. Everything is a social construct. And it is part of the patriarchy social construct. Debunk it. That's what they teach you. Starting with the little things. And you will see that happening that many, many, many Christian women will try fighting the said, you must come and help me in the kitchen. I have no issues in cooking with the kitchen, but I have an issue with that. You accepted it as an ideology. The man should also partake of that. When that becomes a part of your thinking, then there is an issue. Then there is an issue. When it is a thing or act of love, when you both are doing it, that is one thing. When you are looking at it as a right, you have supplemented your truth with a thought process that is coming from the world. That's why you have to be very, very, very careful because social roles were established by God. When even Jesus visited Abraham with his two angels, it is not Abraham who cooked. Sarah who cooked. Now there is nothing wrong with man cooking. I believe men should cook now. Not because of the social construct, because most men in the last days will be called to be single. Because the days are going to be unbelievably difficult to handle a baby. Because if you have a baby, it's going to be very difficult during tough, difficult days. The Bible wants it. Very, very, because your heart melts over the baby and you will compromise. This is not a slam. This is the truth. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, scripture says, Husbands likewise dealt with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to a, as to a. Now this is not a slam against women, this is just the truth. That's the truth. Now we don't have to go into discourses. It is not emotional, physical, psychology. Forget it. Just It is just says weaker. Accept it as truth. Because the truth sets you free. And you take competition out of your marriage. Take competition out of your marriage. Understand. This is not a slam. It's just God's word saying it's weaker. You know, feminists hate Paul. They don't understand that poor man. 
Fourth lie, there are no separate roles for male and female. But the Bible actually gives separate roles. Fifth lie, you should not treat sexes differently. Men should treat... I will tell you, it's so, so funny. In the Senate, in the halls, all these women, all this thing, no? So to... One lady was shouting at the one senator. The senator said, when you grow up, I will talk to you. You know what her response is? You cannot talk to a woman like that. Hey, wait a second. I thought you wanted to be equal as a man, right? That's the way a man talks to a man. You're contradicting yourself. See, the danger of gender differences is if you put a woman in a man's world, she is not actually going to like it. Because men are very rough and they forget it. You, I hit Peter today, I will forget by afternoon. But you hit a woman like you hit Peter, she will remember it lifetime. <laughs> See, this is the... Why do you think all the rules in governments have changed? Why are they changing it, changing it? How to stop gender all gender rules are bringing in, right? But if you are talking about being equal, do you need these rules? So you see, but you, you don't realize what is happening is all the rules are being changed, 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 changed. Like some of the questions that people are actually asking. If a man lives 36 years of his life without reproach in the public sphere and all it takes is one uncorroborated accusation to bring him down, which man would want to enter into public service? It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. Imagine Pastor Vijay, one is, say he's in the secular realm and he's being going to be a judge or an IS officer and some girl comes up who says, in 1975, when I was in school with him, he molested me. Who all were there? I don't remember. Which place was that? I don't remember. Who took you there? I don't remember. Who took you from there? I don't remember. But you must believe women. And he's finished. But that is not equity. That is not fairness. Fairness says there should be due process of law. You remember? Isaiah 59 14. When truth falls to the ground, equity cannot even enter. Equity cannot enter. The thing is that when the woman refused to be a woman, she will never receive equity in her life. She will always be, have to be afraid in a workplace when earlier women were celebrated in the workplace because they were treated as women. Men stood up, they pulled the chair and they said, Madam, what do you want? Shall Everything. Now it is not. You talk to them like that, they are offended. Don't talk to me like that. I don't need your chivalry. But then you are entering into a dangerous world. That's what God is talking about. We celebrate our differences. So you teach your boys to be boys. To be gentle, to talk softly to women. Fight with boys, don't fight with girls. Like I said, when I grew up, I never saw my father whack my sisters. And I used to get very mad. I used to get every second day, or probably every day. And my sisters never got anything. And I asked him once, why don't you whack my sister? He said, because they are girls. Treat them differently. You and them, treat them differently. The question, the whole question is, See, the women do not want men to treat them like men. What they do is they are, we are having an effeminate culture where men are to become like women. Have you noticed? 
Men have become like women, effeminate culture. We have to fight that because this got to do with God. It's got to do with God and His Word. All this life, because the world is hurtling towards a homogeneous culture. Back to the days of the days of Noah. In opposition to the Creator. And all the DNA experiments. You know DNA experimentations are taking place. As I, as we go to communion. Okay, let me give you one little example so that you... I, I don't know how many of you are many. No, there's so much behind the scenes because they cracked the chromosomes, the DNA. Now they are experimenting with DNA to mix genders and mix species. Okay? Now if you know, they did it in 2010, then FDA broke, stopped it. 2012 again, they brought it. It's all scientific, very, very scientific. But there's an agenda behind it, okay? They try it with animals first. They are taking a strain of a pig and a strain of a mouse and created a new species of pigs called enviro pigs. Strains from DNA. Okay? And created a pig for mass consumption whose DNA is mixed with pig and mouse. What are they experimenting on the animals? So they can experiment on man finally. God saw all this far ahead before we even had a single lab. I'll show you from scripture. Isaiah 66. And then we go to communion. Yeah? Behold, the Lord will come with fire. This is talking about the last day's judgment. With his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol. Okay, this is idolatry, a different kind. Eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse. Consume together. Consume together. Shall we consume together? See, when those people wrote those things, prophetic warfare, moved by the spirit, wrote all this, they had no that a Yahudi will never eat pig, Yahudi will never eat mouse, but they shall eat together. And they had no clue. They are writing it as mood without realizing a time will come with both strains will become together and we'll have all these piggies on the market. Everybody's eating pig and mouse together. God says both will be consumed together. To understand how far, far ahead the word of God is beyond our times. God has seen the end from the beginning and blessed are those who hold this up and magnify this and say, Lord, I don't understand so many things, but I shall stick to your word. It is safety. I will live or die by the word. Shall we go to communion now? But get this, parents, watch over your children. So many small children. Watch over your children. They may be confused in the world. There is no confusion in God's house or in our houses. No confusion. Absolutely confusion. Truth is absolute, absolute. God's word is truth. Can I have the elders please, sir? Yes.
Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. As we come to this table, which you asked us to celebrate in your remembrance, your death, the judgment that came upon you for our sake, O oh Lord. We look to you with thanksgiving, Father. And I pray, Father, as we partake of these emblems, I pray each one of us have judged ourselves in the light of your word that we know. For you told us on that day, it's the word we have heard that will judge us. You have said that spiritual man judges all things and he himself is not judged. I pray today we have judged ourselves and we are clear and clean in thy sight. And therefore as we partake of the emblems of your broken body and your shed blood, it will bring healing and deliverance and strength to our inner man, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the end of the service. Remember when the book of Judges finishes. It ends with this verse. Every man. What does it say? was king. In those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as he saw fit. That's an ivy. That's what happens when you and I do not have absolutes in our life. When truth falls in the street, everyone lives by their own truth. But when we stand before God, we will not be judged by our truth. We stand before God by the truth. That's how judges, that's how the first phase of Israel's history finishes. And then God has to bring his redemption through a Gentile woman, through Ruth. And Ruth begins with that statement. In those days when judges ruled. And we see the history of Israel being repeated in the church. You and I cannot be part of that. There are a lot of things which our old man will not like. The word was not meant for the old man to like. It was meant for the new man to obey. Meant to obey. And like today there was a prayer which scripture says um, somebody wrote, Lord make me one. Okay, Let's be one. One person. No confusion. No confusion inside. We are what God says and we do what God says. Our role is what God says and from that 
comes our satisfaction. Man is what man God says. Woman is what God, woman says. A child is what God says. And uh, even if you have all an only child and it is a boy and you wanted a girl, don't put clips on him. No, don't do those things because you have to see how down this times the enemy. Enemy has long time plans. Now, if you look at the world around the world, especially Christian world, millions upon millions of single parent homes where there's no father. The mother brings the children up. So there are boys growing up in homes which who do not even know what a man is like. What a man is like. And a girl who is growing up in a home who does not even know what a man is like. She has never seen her father. And the immediate response in the society, the result is an outbreak of homosexuality. These are all connected. Because the attack is at the home. That's God's basic unit. It's at the home. That's why we always say protect your children. There's no time to contend or fight here. You fight, your children lose. Remember, you may win your arguments, but your children will lose their destiny. Maybe even their salvation. That is the risk, the price you will have to pay. Price you will have to pay. This is about, because Every generation is only one generation away from total loss. One generation away. And as you see things happening, you see a generation is growing up who do not know God. Who do not God. And I never, I never preach to the world. I never preach. I have nothing to do with the world. My issue is never with the world. My issue is with the church. The world was never the custodian of truth. The church was. The world, the truth cannot fall in the streets of India. It can only fall in the church. Homosexuality was not accepted in India or in the temples or in the mosque. It was accepted in the church. Accepted in the church. Men dressing as women and women dressing as women was accepted first in the church. In Christian nations. It was being practiced in Schools and colleges in Christian nations, not with Eastern. It all fell in the church. But the church forgot one thing. That without truth, nobody is saved. Salvation begins with the word of truth. And salvation's end is growing in that truth. And if you compromise on truth, you compromise on salvation. You cannot compromise on truth. That's why scripture says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he's the most compassionate man. When he comes, when the spirit of God comes with truth, he's not coming to beat us on the head. No. He's going to deliver us from our lies. But he cannot deliver us from our lies unless we accept our truth. Unless I am blind, say I am blind, I cannot see. Unless I say I am a sinner, I cannot be forgiven. Unless I say I am deaf, I cannot receive my hearing. Unless I accept the truth, I cannot receive grace. 
That's why the most compassionate man who walked through the day, sitting so tired by the wellside, sends all his disciples into the town, waits for the Samaritan woman to come to the same disciples he had said, do not go to the cities of the Samaritans, and he's sitting by the well for a Samaritan woman. And when she comes over there, starts this conversation, because he knows she will not talk to him, ask for water, this incredible conversation. And he says, if you knew who was asking you this question, you would ask me for water. And the water I give you, if you drink, you will never thirst again. She, like Nicodemus, thinks it carnally and says, wow, that's great. I don't have to come for water anymore. When she says, give me that water, she's asking for salvation. Immediately, he changes the question and he says, go bring your husband. She says, I have no husband. He doesn't condemn her because that's the truth. And he told her the truth. True. You have no husband. You had five husbands. Now you're living with your boyfriend. And she accepts that truth. She said, you are a prophet. That's the beginning of her salvation. That's what scripture says, the son of God did not come to condemn. He comes to save. But he cannot save, grace cannot flow into my life unless I have recognized the truth. And truth is what he says about me and not what I feel about myself. What he says about you and me. That's the truth that will set you free. And that's what we fight. That's what we fight. That's why you see in the gospel Jesus' reaction differently to people who come for salvation and who come for miracles. If it's miracles, what do you want? Take it, go. When it is salvation, the response is completely different. Nicodemus, unless you're born again. Samaritan woman, this is who you are. Zacchaeus, half my wealth I give to the poor. And from everyone I have stolen, I give this many times over. He says, salvation has come to this house today. And we confuse miracle with salvation. Salvation of a human being is because of an encounter with God has truth. Then only you will repent. If you don't encounter truth, who wants to repent? And if you don't repent, what is salvation? How do I receive salvation? What am I turning away from and turning into? And repentance is a lifelong journey because every day you are encountering a new facet of Jesus Christ. And you look at it and say, wow, this is who he is and this is what I am not. And you pray, Lord, make me like you, grace comes in. Because you cannot change. You don't have the power to change you. Grace, truth without grace is unbelievably scary. You know this is what you have to be and you don't have an iota of power to be that. Miserable man who you are. Yet grace comes in and enables you to be what he wants you to be. That's why scripture says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not truth alone. Grace and truth. That is what it means. This is the age of grace. Not that we can walk in our sins and disobedience, but we can walk from truth to truth to truth. For my righteous shall love by faith. Look at faith as truth this morning. Shall we stand and shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. As we hear over and over about different aspects of your word that concerns us, I pray nobody, nobody will be be disheartened. They will know the spirit of truth is also the spirit of grace. And the same word 
which says sin shall not have dominion over you also says because you are not under law but you are under grace. So I pray father when as we walk work out our salvation with fear and trembling we'll always know there is no end to the power of God available in our lives for he who gives the spirit gives without measure. I pray this 10th month of this year we will walk in judgment not judging others but judging ourselves in the light of your word and your spirit not to be condemned but to be approved that the word of god will be living for us oh lord living not a text but a person not letters but a voice that the very power of god will overshadow us as we study your word and listen to your word and obey your word for your word says the word of god has power to work in those who believe and i pray lord every person here will be true to his god given gender every family here will be true to the family which gives its name from our father in heaven and everyone who goes out to work will be true to god who is their true employer help us to be true to you lord for let god be true and every man a liar otherwise thank you father especially commit the young ones the teenagers the children and the babies into the hands a generation that is growing in our midst i pray you cover them and you protect them their eyes their ears their their frail minds oh lord that they will hear and see what is only appropriate they will receive only what is true that they will be excellent in what is good and innocent concerning what is evil lord protect them cover them keep them lord Thank you thank you father go before us this month lord and go with us prosper your people empower your people and strengthen your people thank you father now by faith believing the word of god and the emblems we partook by faith and your spirit has cleansed us and sanctified us we lift up holy hands in this sanctuary and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name and we confess and we proclaim in thy house thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever lord thank you father thank you lord surrender this day and this month into thy hands lord thank you for in jesus name we pray with the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen and amen